so through James, we're talking about this this theme of real faith and real wisdom. That is the theme uh, behind James. Okay, and real wisdom is actually the title of today's passage because that's that's what we're talking about wisdom. And so I want to start with 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 just with you to think about the difference between being smart or smartness versus being wise or wisdom, right? And you can think of knowledge. You know, when you think of someone who's smart, you're like, okay, they're smart. They know a lot. Or they're smart. They can figure things out. What do you exactly mean by that when you say someone is smart, right? And when you say someone has knowledge, you know, all that all knowledge means is that you can retain information, and maybe you could regurgitate information. I, I think that's how our schools kind of train us. You know, they train you to take a test. So you study a lot for a test. You dump that knowledge down and, and then that's it, right? So to regurgitate knowledge is, is that's what it means to retain that information, right? To, to know a lot. And then some people say, well, if you know a lot and if you take tests really well and you're really good at regurgitating knowledge and if you can even teach other people, then you're smart. But wisdom is really different because wisdom is is an art. Wisdom is how do you apply said knowledge when in a difficult situation, right? How do you apply information or knowledge? How do you make a decision in a moment of testing? How do you make a decision that's difficult? How do you make the best decision when there's various options? That's wisdom. Wisdom is applying knowledge and knowing when to apply knowledge. It's different from being smart, right? And as Christians, our source of wisdom we know is scripture. And so when we talk about applying the knowledge and the information we know, it's how do you apply scripture through Christ in, in difficult times? Meaning decisions that are not easy. You, you got options before you. Should you date? Should you date him or her? You know, obviously the opposite gender. You know, but should you date? Should you get married? Should you go to school? Should you change jobs? Should you confront someone of their sin? Uh, whatever it is, right? You have all kinds of decisions. Should, should you take out this loan? What should you do with your life? You need wisdom. And so wisdom is like, okay, you can get all the information in the world, but when all the options are in front of you, how do you make the best decision according to what God is calling you to do as revealed in Scripture, as revealed through common sense, and as revealed as what doors God has opened or closed for you, right? And so, so that's, that's the idea of what wisdom is. Now, tonight, um, I've, I've just put all the points up for you. Okay, so, so nothing fancy. I've just put all the points up in two slides. I have all the points. And hopefully you can look at that and kind of follow where I'm going. Okay, but point number one, which is, is on the PowerPoint, is real wisdom. I think I have a type. Nope, it's right. Real wisdom produces humility and good works. Okay, you see that in verse 13. So I'm just going to go verse by verse and go in that order. Okay, James 3.13, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Real wisdom produces humility and good works. Now, the first thing I want you to notice is that James gives us a test of wisdom, right? This is a test. This is who is wise. Who's wise among you? So he's talking to the church and he's saying, who's wise? And he says that the test of real wisdom is not what someone knows, not what they say, not what they can teach, but it's actually their good works, and it's actually their humility, right? And this addresses the false teachers that we, we, we kind of alluded to last time when Gabe preached on taming the tongue, right? Or he said the very bad lingua right, was the title of his sermon. And so 
he's talking first to the false teachers, then the believers in general. You see, there were the background here is that there were false teachers who were filled with pride. And scholars tell us that, that because they were filled with pride, they were cultivating pride and division and disunity and discord among the people in the churches that James was writing to. So notice at the end of verse 13, though, uh, I want you to see how we get this interpretation. And again, I don't think you need to know the original languages uh, to interpret the Bible. But I think that if you're going to be a teacher of God's Word, it is worth it to learn the original languages. Um, and, and now that I'm talking to you as missionaries, when you know in my sermons, a lot of times I'll choose uh, how I make the points based on exegesis or, or technical grammar or something like that, right? So I'm going I'm to show you something really nerdy. Um, again, you don't have to do this, okay? But basically, you, you can see why I come up with sentences rather than sometimes rather than one or two words, right? Um, you see meekness of wisdom. When I looked at the original language, and some of you have your, your Bibles open or your software, right? Meekness of wisdom, that's actually something nerdy called the genitive of source. Meaning, meekness is a, is a product of wisdom. That's what, that's what that, that interpretation would be. If you were to go to seminary, pay a lot of money, which you don't have to, and you know, get all the nerdy stuff, right? And so what, what that's saying is that if you have real wisdom, and it's going to define real wisdom as wisdom from above, wisdom from God. If you have godly wisdom, if you have God's wisdom, then that wisdom is going to produce meekness. Because it is not wise to be proud or boastful, right? But when you see a person who's actually meek, and humble, and if they're able to do that, and have good works, and not brag about their good works, then, then you would see that person as wise, right, and, and so it's saying that real wisdom produces humility and good works, and that's why we make our point. Now, the false teachers were quick to speak, and so this ties back to last time's message. The false teachers were quick to speak, but they, they had no good works, meaning they had no righteous character to back up their talk, and this ties us back to the not only the previous passage, but let me help you understand the larger context by way of review. Okay, so James one verse twenty two, James chapter one verse twenty two, James tells us to be doers of the word, not just hearers. He's basically saying, you know, don't just be a hearer of God's word, but live it out, right? Apply and live on God's work, and that ties you back to by his good conduct, let him show his works, right? So it's. It's don't just be a hearer, but a doer. In James chapter 2, verse 14, James tells us that what good is it if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Meaning, if you say that you're a Christian, but you don't live like one, then what you say has no weight to it, right? So that goes back once again to by your good conduct, prove through your works that you have faith, right? And so it kind of ties in James 2, James chapter 2, verse 26. James puts the hammer on it all lays down the law, and he says, make it, he makes it clear that faith without works is dead. So basically he's saying, if you say you have faith, but there's no works to back that up, then there's no evidence that you have saving faith, then your faith is dead, and he doesn't write it verbatim, but you're basically not saved. Right? That's what he's saying. So, in, And then in James 3.13, that's today's passage, by his good conduct, let him show his work. So you, can, you, you see this theme, right? This theme of, of as Christians, we have to have faith, but your faith is evidenced through your character, your, your works, your actions. And then he says, in contrast, the false teachers, they're the complete opposite. They say a lot, but they don't live it. They don't live it out. All right? And so, so that's why last week in James chapter 3, verse 1, 
James gave a warning saying teachers will incur stricter and greater judgment because they, they're, they're teaching people's God's word or they're attempting to teach or pretending to teach and they're leading people astray and you don't want to do that, right? So that's, that's what that is. Now let's get back to this word meekness. The Greek word for meekness can also be translated as humility. And I think as, as everyday missionaries, as disciple makers, this is something that we have to always challenge ourselves to, to be and to do and to grow in, right? Uh, and, and humility is one of those things where as soon as you say, hey, man, like I, I'm trying to be humble, like you just lost right there, right? It's like, it's like oh, man, I'm humble. Okay, you're not because you said it. So it's one of those catch-22s, like how do you grow in humility? Plus, you know, Thomas Watson, the Puritan, said there's, there's a difference between being humbled and being humble. He's like, the person who is, I'm not quoting him verbatim, but the person who's humble is talking about their position. But the person who's truly humble at heart, it talks about their disposition, right? So there's a humble person versus a humbled person. A humbled person is humble because they're, they're on their face because they failed. And so they're like, God, I failed. I need you now. So they're humbled for the moment. But a person who's truly humble has a, has a disposition, a heart that is broken and, 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 and has humility, right? But here's where I want you to think of something. You know, today I'm not going to, uh, you know, just do so much um, dialogue thing, you know, because I, I just didn't have time to prepare that. But I will, you know, ask you some questions and I will open up for questions towards, you know, towards the end, right? But did you ever think of wisdom as humble wisdom. That's countercultural to me. I mean, when you think of wisdom, you think of cognitive mastery. Right? You think like that that person is a beast when it comes to their knowledge. That that they have so much information that they can teach other people. Right? When you think of wisdom, you think of cognitive mastery, you think of a mental thing. You don't think of humility. In fact, if you were to talk to people in this world, they may see humility as weak. Man, the humble thing to do is to just let other people go first, right? But in this world, survival of the fittest, you know, wisdom, worldly wisdom would train you how to leverage other people, right? So to, to gain for yourself, to use other people, to even exploit them, but even use other people to get ahead for yourself, right? Worldly wisdom would say stuff like, hey, nobody's going to take care of you, so you need to fight for yourself. So you need to go get yours. So if you're wise, you're going to play chess and you're going to outmaneuver all of your whatever classmates or workmates, you know, or, or your coworkers, right? To get ahead, to get that promotion. So, so what can you do to, to get around other people and to get ahead? And it's all based on selfish ambition and it's self-centered. Now, I'm not saying that you should be a doormat and let people step over you, right? That's not what God is calling his people to do. But have you ever thought of wisdom as a character trait of humility. I mean, that, that to me is fascinating. I, I actually didn't think of that until I restudied this because I haven't really looked deeply at this passage since 2008. Um, by the way, you know, it's, it's just like, I, I look at my, my sermon from 2008, I preached this passage, and I think I, I have to, I just plagiarized MacArthur. <laughs> As a, back then, I, was, I, I didn't know how to preach. It was early on. I was like, I'm just going to do what John MacArthur did. And it, it's horrible. So this is completely different. But, but I mean, I, I think it's humbling even to look at that and be like, man, dude, that was, that was horrible. You know? um, I'm going to get judged. <laughs> Teachers will incur stricter judgment. But, but you can see from verse 13 already how true wisdom 
is personified not in how this world understands wisdom as as mental strength, right, or or cognitive uh, cognitive information or cognitive strength or cognitive mastery, but instead true wisdom is personified in who? Who's, who? Who represents true wisdom? Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ. You think of how wise he is, right? That that rather than rather than then the wisdom helps you rule other people, Solomon, right? I would say Jesus is a million times wiser than, than what God gave Solomon because, you know, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But can you see in verse 13 that you have this man who's 100% divine? It, it, so he could technically at any moment pull for omniscience, right? He's 100% divine, yet he's the perfect example of humility. That even in his exaltation, he, he comes through humility. And so when you look at him, you, you never look at Jesus as, man, he's proud, or he, he domineers over people. You're like, man, dude, I worship him. He is the most exalted, or he, he, exalted person in this world. He is the Lord of all. Why? Because he humbled himself. And so that's crazy because you don't think of humility as, as, as wisdom, but Jesus was the wisest. And, and he demonstrated humility. So you can see how this is very different from the world. And that leads to point number two, right? So point number one is real wisdom produces humility and good works. Um, point number two is fake wisdom. So we looked at real wisdom. We're going to look at fake wisdom. I'm just following James tonight. So we're going to come back to real wisdom. Okay, so it's going to be real wisdom, fake wisdom, real wisdom. Because that's what James does. Okay, so point number two we see this in verse 14. But it's fake wisdom produces disorder and weakness, wickedness. Right? Um, fake wisdom produces disorder and wickedness. Look, look with me at verse 14. James 3, verse 14. It says, but if you have bitter jealousy. I mean, that's that's like double down, right? Not only are you jealous, but you're bitterly jealous. That's it's really emo. right? And selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast and be false to the truth. Uh, I just think it's funny. I'm bitterly jealous. <laughs> um, first thing I want you to see is fake wisdom comes from a bitter, jealous, and selfish heart. Okay, False wisdom comes from bitter, jealous, and selfish motives of the heart. All right, so, so I think I put that point up there for you. Okay, so you got it there. Now, Scripture refers to jealousy as a negative type of zeal. Okay, The, the word selfish ambition it actually can mean strife, meaning this heavy conflict and discord. This same idea is used by Paul in 1 Corinthians 3.3. Now, James wrote James, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. But in 1 Corinthians 3.3, Paul writes, for, our, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh, behaving only in a human way? And he's trying to say, if you're a Christian, you ought to have spiritual power. You ought to have spiritual insight. You ought to have a spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ. But if you're operating out of selfish ambition, it comes from uh, an unregenerate part of the heart. Right? And so, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. That's the other thing I want you to think about. This is, this is crazy. Okay, so if you go back to James 3.14, uh, you guys have your Bibles? You guys have your Bibles in front of you? Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't mind if it's electronic, but but just just look at it, okay. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition 
in your hearts. So fake wisdom is not a mental knowledge kind of thing, cognitive, it's not false information. Right? You're like, hey, dude, that guy's not really wise. He doesn't know what to do or say. It has nothing to do with knowledge. False wisdom is a heart issue, which means real wisdom, I will show you, is also a heart attribute. That's something new. Right? I mean, I, I didn't see this when, when I first studied this, I don't know, in 2008, trying to imitate MacArthur. Right? I just didn't see that. But, but it's so clear there. It says you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is a heart issue in your hearts. So, here's, here's what I'm saying. There is no excuse for, if you're a Christian, right, right, you can't say, you know, I'm just not very wise. Because Jesus would say, that's a heart issue. Every Christian must be wise. Because the Bible is redefining wisdom. Wisdom is not knowing stuff. Wisdom is a meekness that comes out of your heart and it's good works that are produced out of your heart. Wisdom is what Jesus, the true wisdom living in you, is producing through the power of the Spirit. Right? And every growing Christian is going to struggle, struggle, but the Christian life is supposed to be a manifestation of God's wisdom. Is that when people look at Christians, they're supposed to look at us and be like, man, okay, that, that is the wisest way to love people. That is the wisest way to deal with problems. That is the wisest way to reconcile relationships. Wow. They must have something out of this world. They must have God, right? It's, it's a hard thing. So we can't say, I'm not a wise person. I am very unwise. Therefore, I am sinful. <laughs> right? That, that, that's, uh, you know, but that's an excuse we cannot make, right? Because if we say that, then, then we're saying that we're unregenerate. So we have, to, we have to say, look, you know, I want to be wise. I am growing in wisdom because Jesus is in my heart. The, the second thing I want you to see in verse 14 is the fake wisdom is boastful and fake. And obviously you see that, right? It says that do not boast and be false to the truth. Well, I think that's obvious. That's something that I think we all agree with. But this is actually from Jeremiah. Jeremiah, um, we will profit from looking at the prophets. Okay, that's a little corny, but but that's that's how I think about it. You know, all oh, the prophets are hard, but I'm like Hanley. We will profit from studying the prophets. So do your devotions in the prophets, right? I don't know about you guys. Sometimes I'm just like, man, dude, it's, it's Jeremiah week. You know, skip over. Let's go to Matthew. It's like, how many times are you going to skip Malachi? No, I'm skip Malachi and, 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 and go to Matthew, right? Um, but but uh, Jeremiah 9, uh, 23 and 24 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, <coughs> declares the Lord. And so this idea of not boasting and boasting being foolish, right? It's taken from Jeremiah where he says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Meaning the wise man wouldn't boast in what he knows or, or in how he's able to make decisions. He would give credit to God, right? He would be humble. And a person who boasts, in contrast by default, is not wise. In, in, in this sense, uh, the wise person looks out not for him or herself, but looks out for others, looks out for how to bless others through good works, looks out for how to advance 
society for other people and people in general so that we can be a witness of God's kingdom. Let me give you an, a, a sporting event example. Um, I say this because I don't like the Patriots. I really don't like the Patriots. I really don't like the Patriots. I've, I've, you guys know I've, I've been a San Diego, San Diego Chargers fan. Um, that's, you know, and now, now they're the Los Angeles Chargers since I started watching football. And uh, AFC rivals or AFC team that always beats us or we have a problem with are the New England Patriots. They just won the Super Bowl. And so I'm not saying this because I like the Patriots, but I will tell you this, okay? In Tom Brady, I see wisdom. I'm not saying Christian biblical wisdom, but, but at least I think you can relate to this, right? It's not so Bible-y or a Bible story. Tom Brady, I think he's wise. How, how many of you guys watch football? I mean, how many of you guys heard of Tom Brady? How, how many of you guys who are, are don't watch football, but you heard Tom Brady, you think he's a model or something? <laughs> but... Tom Brady, um, how many of you guys would would agree that he's one of the best quarterbacks to ever play? Right? It's no doubt. So, so I'm at that point where I don't like the team, but I have respect for the game. And I respect that if you give him the ball with like 30 seconds, he, he can kill you. Okay? Um, and someone like that could be boasting. But I've never seen Brady. I mean, yeah, there are times where he gets mad at his teammates or you see him like he says the F word, but, you know, it's silent because you're watching TV and he shouldn't be saying that or he's mad at his team and he's going nuts, right, because he's competitive. But every single time, the post-game interview, I've never seen him say something like, we knew we could beat them. They were no match for us. I told them to their face afterwards. They ain't got nothing on us. Or, you see basketball players talk like that? You see people boast like that? I've never seen him do it. I've always seen him. He's always been like congratulating the other team. He always says, you know what? You know, it was a really well-coached team that we played against. He always praises the other team. You know, they have, they, they're really, they, have, they played really well, right? Uh, he, he always takes responsibility when they lose. And, you know, I put this on me, right? He never says, oh, my wide receiver didn't pass, catch the ball even though I threw perfect passes. Or I wasn't protected. I got hit too much. He doesn't say that. He takes responsibility. But he always uplifts his team too. He always says, oh, the, the offensive line did wonderful. The defense was amazing today. He always gives credit to his teammates. He praises his coach. He praises the other team's coach. And then the stuff that he does in private after the game, I'm not talking about his private life, was I heard reported on the news after they beat the Kansas City Chiefs, Chiefs in the playoffs, he went to the other uh, team's locker room, looked for their quarterback to console him and to encourage him because that guy's like a younger quarterback, like an up-and-coming guy, right? But Brady doesn't say this. He doesn't tell you he's going to do it. He doesn't announce it. He doesn't take a picture of it. He doesn't Instagram it. doesn't tell the reporter. Instead, he lets the reporters, they're going to find out. So then they report it. So then when, so then when you're like me, you're like, I don't like Tom Brady. I don't like Bill Belichick. I don't like the Patriots. I'm just like, I really respect him. He's a sportsman. Right? I would look at him and say, dude, he's wise. But if he was boastful, I'd be like, dude, yeah, he's darn good. He has every right to boast, but I hate him. He's not wise. You see a difference? Now, that's Tom Brady. And, I, and as far as I know, he hasn't professed Christ yet. Now, think about Christians. How much more do we have to be wise? Right? And, and, and how we speak, how we talk, how we uplift other people. 
you know, how, how we uplift other people in the church, you know, how, how we talk about opponents, how we talk about non-Christians, how we talk about other people who are opposed to us, you know, how, how we talk about other churches or other denominations or to, to just to give credit to people where they deserve it. I mean, we can learn a lot, right? So that's, that's the second thing I want you to see from under point number two. The third thing is fake wisdom is from Satan. Okay, this is, this is a, a strong one, right? Because look at verse 15, James 3.15. It says, This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Whoa, James? Yo, James, you know, calm down, right? It's like, earthly. Okay, I, I get that. Earthly, you know, it's worldly. It's not heavenly. It's unspiritual. Yeah, of course, it's fleshly. It's demonic. What? Yeah, no, I, that, that's what it says, right? This is not... This is not some dogmatic pastor making it up. James describes false wisdom as demonic, meaning it, it's, it's motivated and it comes from Satan. It is the work of the devil, basically. False wisdom is demonic. It's a source of, the, the source of false wisdom is Satan himself. I know that's strong, but it's what it says. And it's crazy. Now in verse 16, James brings it up once again. He says, jealousy and selfish ambition and he says, jealousy and selfish ambition lead to disorder and every vile, every vile practice. And every vile practice, it means it's evil, right? Every evil practice. I mean, that's a strong statement as well. And, and based on that, you know, that's why we get this, we get this second point of false wisdom produces disorder and wickedness. Right? That, that's where we, we're getting it right from the text. And why do we say disorder? Because disorder is instability. It is disunity. It is discord. It is an organization falling apart from within. It, it is implosion of, of, of the community because of sin. Right? Being rampant and moving. And that's what the false teachers were doing. They were producing pride. They were producing division. You see a similar parallel. I, I, again, it's James and Paul are different worlds, right? But, but you see in 1 Corinthians the same idea, but it was a little different, right? Where in 1 Corinthians, people had spiritual gifts. And so when I talk about spiritual gifts, when we get there, I'm going to talk about the context of spiritual gifts that Paul was addressing was disunity. So how do you practice and develop your gifts in humility? How do you look at someone else's gift and say, I wish I had that gift, but you know, mine's just as important. And how do you look at the upfront gifts aren't the most important gifts, but it's the behind the scenes gift, Paul says, right? So all of that stuff. So you see the same idea where in First in Corinthians, people had gifts, but they were boasting about their gifts. And, and, and there was division and disunity. And Paul rebukes them, you know, tears them a new one, right? In, in First Corinthians. Now, point number three is real wisdom produces peace and godly character. Real wisdom produces peace and godly character. We see this in verses 17 to 18. Look at me at verse 17 where we see this. Verse 17 says, But the wisdom from above is first pure. And again, that comes from the heart. Wisdom is a heart thing. And I'm going to keep unpacking this. It's not a mental thing. It's a heart thing. Then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Verse 18 and a harvest, that's corny, of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I just had to. I'm sorry, guys. Jesus is corny. He's a cornerstone Lord of the harvest, right? But um, you, you look at Thank you. <laughs> but, but you look at what we see here is the wisdom from above 
the first thing we see is it produces godly character. Now, this is crazy, okay? Because oftentimes, you know, uh, when, when I was younger, they used to tell me, and I believe that there's truth to this, read a proverb a day and you'll grow wise. So I did it. But I still made a lot of stupid decisions and dumb mistakes in life. I'm just like, but God, I read my proverb a day. Right, like a formula. That's not how it works. Because I was just trying to know stuff. and But just because you know something or you read something, just because information comes into your head or your mind or your eyes see some words, it doesn't mean that, that your heart has changed, right? And then I was like, well, Solomon prayed for wisdom. So my Sunday school teacher said, pray for wisdom. That's not bad. So I said, like, God... I want to be wise. And what was I asking for? I was like, God, I, I need you to give me some type of mental, like I said, cognitive strength or ability to just know things and be wise. But if you read this, it says, but the wisdom from above is first pure. Then if you actually just started praying and meant it, I said, Lord, um, I really want to make wise decisions. Please help me to be wise so that I can love people. Help me to be wise so that I could I could really serve others. Help me to be wise so that I can honor you. I mean, that right there is wisdom. You've just acted in wisdom. Right? That prayer right there, just coming to God with a pure heart, asking Him to purify your heart. That right there is wise. You see, so, so I want you to kind of understand this, that real wisdom is moral character. Not mental, it's not a mental cognitive attribute. I'm going to repeat that. Real wisdom is a moral character attribute. Real wisdom talks about moral character. It's not a mental cognitive attribute. Okay? But we don't think of wisdom as morality. We think of wisdom, again, as knowledge. We don't think of wisdom as morality. So before I was talking about we don't think of wisdom as humility. But we don't often think of wisdom as Moral is morality, right? Wisdom in Scripture is morality. It is is moral action, and in the New Testament, this is morality through the person and the power of Christ, right? So notice then that godly wisdom, real wisdom, is from above, meaning you can't get it in this world. You you can't go to um, bookstores; they don't have those. I mean, you can't go on Amazon; they do, but you 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 can't go on Amazon and say, "I want to." gain wisdom and, and read a million books. Books are great. You ought to read. But the wisdom that God wants to give us in Christ has to come from above. It's from God. And that starts with conversion. right? We know that. But notice this as first pure. So who is the only person who can purify our hearts? God, through Jesus Christ and through the Spirit. Right? A pure heart is the starting point for all of the attributes to flow out of it. Otherwise, I don't think James would have wrote it this way. Right? I mean, if you notice the verse, it's very clear. It, it, James 3.17, it says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then, secondly, right? Then, first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And so, it, it, it kind of lays out that way. Now, I'm going to get a little nerdy on you guys again. Okay, and again, this is just so that you can kind of see the process. Because if we're training missionaries, then I want to teach you how to study the Bible. Right? When you look at peaceable, gentle, open to reason, this speaks of your character. Okay, so peaceable, gentle, open to reason 
It's talking about wise character. When you talk about full of mercy and good fruits, that talks about wise actions. You can see the difference, right? When you're peaceable, when you're gentle, when you're open to reason, this is talking about your disposition, your heart. This is talking about your personality. Right? You, are, are you a peaceable person? Are you a gentle person? Are you open to reason? It describes your thoughts, your emotions. And in the Greek, and this is where you don't have to know, but in, your, in the Greek, actually, th these three words are grouped together with, a e, with the epsilon prefix. Okay, but anyway. So then, where full of mercy and good fruits is not. Right, so full of mercy and good fruits, it talks about actions. These are your actions. Impartial and sincere speak of, of a consistent witness. And I'll, I'll show you that, that it's talking about consistency rather than hypocrisy. Right? Sincerity is, means that you're consistent rather than hypocritical. And impartial means it's constant, it's unwavering. Some of your translations have that, unwavering. And in the Greek, these two words have A prefixes, alpha prefixes, but for us in the English, it'd be like un. Right? It'd be like an un, like a, like a negation. Anyway, so, so when you study, I think it's important to kind of, if you really want to teach the Word of God, you, you need to learn your Greek and Hebrew is what I'm trying to say. Okay? Um, but, but to just study it, I, I don't think you need it. All right. But so these three, um, you could break down this sentence into three groups, right? You talk about wise character, wise actions, and then a consistency of your character. Right? And so... Wisdoms, now I'm going to break it down a little more for you. Wisdom from above produces peaceful relationships. So the first thing you kind of see that's different is the real wisdom is a moral character thing. It's not a mental cognitive attribute. But the second thing is that real wisdom is relational. That's countercultural. Because when you think of wisdom, you think of you having wisdom for yourself. But it seems like everything here where we're wisdom is flowing into they're all relational things peaceable, gentle, open to reason it, just look at one at a time right? peaceable means you're a peacemaker Matthew 5, 9, Jesus said blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God and so real wisdom seeks to make peace rather than to be controversial right? being gentle and open to reason um, you know some people if you want to be abrasive and truthful that's cool uh, but people aren't going to want to talk to you, right? And so, so, so God would say, that's not wise. Right? So, so you've got to be gentle and open to reason, meaning people can disagree with you and you're willing to hear them out. Or you're willing to reason with people, even people who are opposing you from outside. And they're like, hey, this guy is willing to talk to me. You know, this, is a, this has, has been in the past a struggle for me uh, because, you know, I'm, I'm a passionate guy. And people have told me before, like, Hanley, you're really dogmatic. And I remember it, when I was the youth pastor, you know, um, some of the, the leaders, the youth leaders would tell me like, hey, we wanted to bring our unsafe friend, but we think you were a little too dogmatic. And so I'm like, I'm like, dude, I'm telling you the truth, right? I was, I'm just preaching the truth. Well, you can, you can have the right information, wrong attitude. All right, so, so I had to deal with this where like, I'm just abrasive. And then that's why I learned, you know, that's why I, I have to train myself. Like, you know, I love you more than you know. I mean it. You know, I have to tell my, you know, I have to really work on loving people over the, the, the past decade. And, and just because you have the right message, you can have the wrong attitude and it, and it kind of destroys the message, right? And so that's what it means. Be gentle, open to reason. And then people will want to talk to you, right? It's wise. Rather than saying, hey, that guy's right, but man, I'm not going to say a word to him. 
But also, if you're not open to reason, no one's ever going to confront you or tell you when, when there's a blind spot. And then you're going to be like, why am I alone? Nobody told me. Nobody warned me. Well, they, they couldn't. You're not, you're unreasonable. Right? Um, being merciful is also a relational aspect and traces back to Matthew 5, 7. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. So being merciful, James has spoken of being merciful earlier in this letter in chapter 2 in the context of not judging people, right? Because we all need the mercy of God. And, and so that same idea carries through here, right? The, the, again, it's relational. And then good fruits, we already mentioned earlier, this talks about good works towards others. It's relational. Being impartial is relational. It goes back to the idea of loving your neighbor as yourself, right? Be impartial. Don't discriminate. Love other people the way that you would want to be loved. And then James, you know, James kind of wraps this up, right? So he attacks the, the partiality and the hypocrisy. But he wraps this up with a focus on, on character, once again, with the word harvest of righteousness. And I'm just joking. It doesn't mean, you know, corniness or anything like that, right? Harvest is the idea of what happens in a harvest. What's planted? Seeds are planted. And during the harvest, you see, you see the fruit, the fruition, right, of the seeds that are planted. And so there are seeds of wisdom that produce what? Righteousness. So what is righteousness? Here it refers to godly character. Right, so godly character is the product of the seeds of wisdom. So if you seek to, to have wisdom from God, the product is righteousness in terms of righteous character. And then the peace that James is referring to, I believe here is the idea of shalom or wholeness. Because that's the wholeness and the peace within the community, the unity, right? the peace among the church and among the people. Because that's exactly what he's attacking. He's attacking bitter jealousy selfish ambition and disorder so the peace that he talks about brings order unity and community all right so that's basically the biblical content here's the big idea for you real wisdom brings the purity and peace of christ into every action and relationship right you know we believe that this is what james is trying to get at if there's one main point to sum it up and everything points back to jesus christ everything nothing is possible apart from christ Real wisdom brings the purity and peace of Christ into every action and relationship.